The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Dynamic Healing with two experts in chronic pain, David Hanscom and Les Aria. This podcast will show you how to unlock your body's ability to heal. Just breathe and learn how to rewire your brain and break free from chronic pain. Welcome to Dynamic Healing Podcast. I'm Les Aria. And I'm David Hanscom, and I'm excited to introduce a special guest today, a good friend of mine. We've done workshops together. I've read his book. He's the author of Forgive for Good, which is a book that changed my practice I knew that forgiveness was important, but I didn't know how important it was, and I certainly didn't know how to teach people to do it. So Dr. Fred Luskin is a professor at Stanford. He wrote the book Forgive for Good. He's been teaching forgiveness for how long, Fred? Almost 30 years. Right. So, and Fred has a very excellent trait, is that you can actually understand him. He's a very clear speaker. (laughs) So I've actually, as we did workshops together, why Fred's actually been one of my um, mentors in a way, as far as trying to speak more clearly and slowly. (laughs) I appreciate that. But anyway, Fred's a good friend of mine. We have lunch every four to six weeks and talk about life in general. And we have, I think, a a significant percent of the world's problems solved, don't you think, Fred? (laughs) Anyway, we'll get on with the program. So I want to talk about the purpose of today's program is that you cannot move forward into healing if you're holding on to the past. Can't do it. Some aspect of forgiveness must be manifested in your life every day to truly solve your chronic pain. It is always the tipping point. And why is that? So let's... You know, the only thing I would say, David, is um, we're all holding on to the past. It's just that you want to examine how you're holding on to the past. Uh, Forgiveness releases the holding on to the past, which is founded on either bitterness or self-pity. But people who hold on to the past with senses of resilience, senses of gratitude, senses of that they've learned, they they don't have the problems that, that you're referring to. The issue is holding on to the past with, um, with, with an antagonism towards what happened or a sense of personal failure or like personal regret over behavior. Um, I, I, just wanted, I just wanted to clarify that, but that's why I think it's such a crucial point in your process. 
so Les has a quote for us today. Unless this was a rather short one. Yeah, and it just just as Fred was speaking, just just the way he said it, it actually amplifies this quote: "What fires together wires together." Whatever you're investing in, practicing is what Fred is talking about. It seems to be amplified. So if you hang on tightly, things become amplified within and regardless of what it is. So I, I love this uh, discussion. This is going to be a fruitful discussion on forgiveness. In fact, every time I hear the word forgiveness, I will tell you this. Um, personally, I have this unusual sensation that shows up. And because I've trained in this, I, I tend to pay attention to it and kind of hold it very gently because I know there's something there. So it's almost like where there's this uh, sensation that's there, but it's no longer stinging me. It's there. And uh, so I tend to honor what shows up as opposed to push it away. So Fred, thanks for starting us off on this fruitful discussion. I think many of our patients with chronic pain, um, in fact, I'd like to just briefly jump into this is just I had a patient recently who basically had what we call medical trauma. And David is very familiar with this as he tries to speak to physicians to not do unnecessary surgery. David, you'll appreciate this. There were intrathecal pumps, which we no longer use. It's to put medication in the person's body, uh, very dangerous, very lethal medication. Um, and then they removed it and then they put the spinal cord stimulator in it. And then they put and then they did surgery and then they put more um, injections and they just, it just went on and on and on. I'd like to tell you this as uh, two years later, this person's not better and is actually suicidal. And the person said, I can no longer trust the doctor. And so with that said, in my discussion with her, I just wanted to hear her narrative. At the end of the, at the end of a story, I basically took a step back and, and I said, what I'm about to say to you is going to be very painful to hear, yet it's one of the processes of healing. And I said, and it's going to be forgiveness. And she lost it. Right. Well, that's going to come out later in this conversation because Fred said something earlier before our podcast about <clears throat> forgiveness versus self-pity. And the yeah. topic that's going to come up is what about situations like that, that are truly um, a problem. Um, mm -hmm. But the genealogy of anger that fits into this is that you have a circumstance that you blame, and then you're a victim, and then you're angry. So the reality is that you're a perceived victim or a real victim, and you've had unnecessary surgery, unnecessary procedures, your trust has been broken, you're trapped in pain, you're bounced around, that's legitimate anger, you are a victim. But the problem is you're still angry at the end of the day, and Fred knows this really well with your study in Ireland, is that the more legitimate your victimhood, the harder it is to let it go, right? Um, I mean, I, I would... I'm uncomfortable with the with the use of the word victim. I, I I would say it's really important to remind people that their suffering is real, mm -hmm. and that the proximate event was painful, difficult, or even unmerited. But but victim is is a different word. Um, and, and it, it's one that I don't think people are well advised to get too used to. Um, because, but I think, David, the really important piece is you want to encourage people to grieve whatever wound, loss, or challenge they face, because that grieving is essential to health. 
when when grieving is either interrupted or not allowed to complete itself, that's when the negativity or the self-pity becomes perseverative. It's forgiveness is an essential thing that comes in to relieve grieving, so to speak. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross put it as acceptance, mm. but it's, the, it's this deep acceptance that and, it, and it's not just an acceptance that I've suffered, but it's an acceptance of something bigger than that, which is life has suffering and life has difficulty. And that I was capable of handling the suffering that came onto my plate. With, with these pe people you're referring to and, and you know, in the front lines with the work that both of you did, you saw, you see people with legitimate suffering. And you, you both know, I, I've spoken to you both, that legitimate suffering has to be acknowledged and handled. And it can't be pushed away up front because it's legitimate. But there also has to be a transition out of that emphasis. Mm. And, and forgiveness is that like the, the point of you know, disembarkation from, well, I am identified by my suffering and forgiveness is the quality where I may have suffering, but I'm not identified by it anymore. That's a great point. <clears throat> yeah, that's, uh, David, that's really just, I'm just kind of reflecting on that identified with, and it's, it's, not, it's, it's very similar pattern when someone says, um, I'm a chronic pain patient. I often exactly. correct them. I tend to say you're a person with chronic pain. There's a separation. Over-identification is what I call, David, this is going to be my first lessonism of the day. Over-identification is amplification. When you over-identify with anything is I am a, a kind person. When you cannot be that kind person, we tend to put ourselves down. We tend to beat ourselves up. So in some sense, I like this because when we over-identify with something, we become that and you're looking at a separation. And I like what you said also, because when you were speaking, that was a first thought that came to my mind. Forgiveness is, in, in a sense, acceptance. But I like how you said it. it's not about identifying with it. So that is really powerful. A less one of my mentors was Carolyn Mace. Oh. And, and, and one of the things that she was a medical intuitive. Yes. And she referred to the concept of woundology. And she saw that that was one of the really negative medical things where people would do exactly as you said, hi, I'm Joe, I have a bad liver. Or, you know, hi, I'm Seymour, I have a terrible mother. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and she said people too often bond on their wounds, like this, exactly what you're saying. Then they create groups of wounded people whose energy coalesces around this vulnerability and yes. it, it weakens everybody in the group. So that was one of my teachers. The other thing in, in the 21st century now that in the way I think of what you said is like Carol Dweck's um, fixed versus growth mindset. Mm -hmm. A fixed mindset is this is who I am. So when you say people come to you as I'm a chronic pain patient, they have a fixed mindset. 
And so yeah. fixed mindsets are, are, you know, don't allow for growth and actually keep people limited in their capacity to be creative and think of new ideas. So that's my 21st century way of languaging what you're saying is you want to teach people to go from a fixed to a growth mindset. Yeah. Well, that's what you talk about is psychological flexibility. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's necessary for healing is to develop his psychological flexibility. And then Fred, just, Fred and I have done several workshops together and <clears throat> I learned a lot about forgiveness in his workshop. And I'm going to misquote you, not on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Here he goes. <laughs> I'm going to try. <laughs> so, but you said one thing that really struck me is that there, you know, I'm, that forgiveness is a dynamic daily process. In other words, you know, you forgive somebody and then you think about it two days later and you're still pissed off. You get to forgive again. So your point was being that it's sort of a learned skill that you do to some degree every day. Did I get that right? There's two parts to it. There's decisional forgiveness, which is the first thing I need to do it. And then they refer to the second part as like emotional forgiveness where you do exactly what you say. But here's the difference. Um, what shifts is what people consider real. So when you get somebody who's very new to it or doesn't really believe in forgiveness and, and using less as medical stuff because I've, I've dealt with that at a number of occasions. Um, you know, the doctor screwed up. Um, I hate them. They tried to ruin my life. Then they have a moment of, of acceptance or peace, but, but they view that as temporary. And so when the resentment comes back, that's the real piece. When people really commit to forgiveness, what's real shifts. So they will then say, oh, that's right. I felt at peace or understanding that's real. I know that the bad feelings may come back, but they're part of a past that I want to get rid of. So again, I'm not going to identify with them. That's what shifts. The, what it is that we hold on to is real and worth bringing into ourself. The thing that's insane about holding on to anger, whatever way you want to describe that, is that now you have a person that truly treated you badly. You don't, I think you've said this also, Fred, you don't have to like this person. You don't, don't have to hold on to it, but you have a person that's treated you badly who is now ruining your quality of life today. So uh, this person's not here and I'm pissed off about something that happened five years ago. And I'm gonna quote you again. I, did I do okay the first time? <laughs> anyway, so, so the other thing you point out too is that, okay, I had bad parents and I did. And of course I took that forward into my adult life. You know, poor me, I was abused, this, this, and this. And you made a comment at one of our workshops said, okay, it's fine to say, okay, I had bad parents till I was 18 years old. Then at age 18, it's time to say, look, okay, I'm not responsible for my life. So instead of blaming your parents for screwing up your life, you have to take responsibility yourself for screwing up your life. So you can't blame anybody once you hit adulthood. Is that, it was, that's the essence of what you said. At least that's what I heard. I mean, that's close. What, what I said is, 
if like you could legitimately say at the age of like 16 or 18 that your parents were mostly responsible for what's wrong with you, maybe 80%. But each few years after that, that metric starts to shift because then you spend time screwing up your own life. So if at 18, it's 80% mom's fault, at 25, it may shift down to 50%. And by 30, it may be 30% because you have 12 years as a responsible adult that you did nothing productive about it. At some point, that balance shifts where it becomes dishonest to blame it on parents because if you're 33 and it was 18 years of their responsibility and 15 years of yours, then it becomes a joke. That's what I, that's what I said. Not, it's not quite as like black and white but looking at it as a developmental task, at some point, we each live the life that we choose. You know, David um, and Fred, this reminds me of Sarno's thing, and which goes back, the life that we want to live, we have choice. And Sarno talked about this, uh, John Sarno, who started this 50 years ago, saying is, when you have rage inside of you, about your developmental trauma and your life pressures, your relationship conflicts. And he kept on warning um, patients that you need to learn how to release this rage. He used the word rage. In fact, the first time I read that book, I'm like, rage? I don't have rage. Most people don't have rage. However, he was talking to us about being genuine about it, that repress, that repression, not suppression. Suppression is for the audience, it's consciousness where I don't want to deal with it right now. I'm just going to sweep it underneath the rug. Uh, repression is an unconscious process. And he was talking more about the repression and that when we don't deal with this, there is genuine. It's, it's almost like what you're saying is this is this is what is happening inside of me. And how do I choose, make a decision to move forward with forgiveness and then the emotional forgiveness. So it's a nice process. But I love the fact that John Sarno mentioned this, who's a physical medicine doctor, a doctor of the spine, and talks about how emotions can really play a role, a real havoc inside of us. And this topic, like I said, I've been practicing now for about 19 years, that unforgiveness is like what Mark Twain, I think, had said. It's like that anger inside of us. It's the, you know, about spilling it over, just to paraphrase him, it's, it's not the problem that you're going to spill it over. It's what's still within you that tends to eat you alive. Well, Sarno used the term rage because, um, I mean, being in pain is just, you're trapped and you can't escape. Nobody's helping you out. You're being bounced around. And so that's why I use the word abyss because you're trapped without hope. And there's no, no end point. So that's where the word rage comes into. But I want to jump in just for a second into the physiological effects of being angry. So first of all, it's basically a neurochemical state. It's a fight or flight response. It is necessary. It's very powerful and it's not going to go away. Anger is necessary for survival. Just like anxiety is necessary for survival. The problem is when you're full of a fight or flight chemicals, which is you know cortisol, um, inflammatory cytokines, which are little inflammatory proteins. Um, you have adrenaline, noradrenaline, all these drugs to fire up your system. What it does, the inflammatory proteins or cytokines in the brain sensitize the brain. They increase the speed of nerve conduction. So then you feel the pain more. So your legitimate anger is actually makes your pain worse, which makes you more angry. 
And then we also know when you're in full of these inflammatory cytokines and your cortisol is up, you start robbing glucose from your brain. You start actually destroying neurons for energy. And we know in chronic pain, it's hard to think clearly. You get a brain fog and your brain physically shrinks. So fortunately, as you solve chronic pain, your brain actually physically re-expands. So the physiological consequences on your body from seeing this agitated state is really high. And the final thing I want to say, um, before I turn it back over to the two psychologists here, which I'm trapped in between this morning, <laughs> there's got to be some name for this two psychologists and a surgeon type. Oh, it's called a, a surgeon sandwich. Go on, please. <laughs> <laughs> so there's data, really clear data, that the antidote to anxiety is control. And so we have control, your inflammatory markers go down. So they've done a lot of studies showing that people that are bullied or trapped by a bully have higher inflammatory markers, consistently higher compared to the norm. But what's even more disturbing is, is that the bullies have lower inflammatory markers. In other words, when you, so more power, more control. And so when you're trapped by anything, whether it's a relationship or money or pain, whatever it is, your inflammatory markers go up. When you're in control, i.e. the bully, or in, in a more positive note, when you control your own life, um, inflammatory markers go down, which then decreases the pain and starts reversing the entire process. So the implications are psychological, but they're even more physiological. You're changing your body's chemistry by letting go. Then Fred, in my practice, you know, I wrote my first book on back in control. I didn't know what to do about anger. And your book came into my practice, maybe 2014. That's when people started to get better. It was unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable. And even myself personally, I mean, your book helped me a lot personally. It's called Forgive for Good. And I didn't know what to do with anger. And I just knew that no person in my practice, I swear to God, to the person, yeah. people get better but nobody truly heals until they learn how to process anger. They just don't. David, I think I've got to, I've got, I've got to say this to you also, and it's a true pleasure to be on the podcast to have you here. Um, David, to highlight what you just said from a surgeon to a clinician who is in the uh, recipient of the patient. Fred, check this out. Um, uh, about maybe two decades ago, um, I was still in training and I got a patient, and uh, this is horrific. And um, the surgeon who did the surgery operated on the wrong leg. It was a, it's, and it was a knee operation. And uh, the surgeon was struggling himself with some um, mental health issues. Let's just say that. And um, and long story short of this is his staff tried correcting him, and he just went ahead. The patient I'm listening to is just raging and is a therapist on top of that, right? So I like to tell my patients just because I'm a psychologist doesn't mean I don't get hurt. My feelings are still there, right? And so this therapist was raging on and really just weeping and just angry. And ultimately what happened in the end is basically I, I was stuck and I hadn't got enough training uh, on forgiveness. I know about it. I read about it but I was stuck and I decided to do my own research and then I came across your book. And when I came across your book, I assigned it as part of my treatment plan and that's when he started to heal.
Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So thank you, uh, Fred, because that patient today is happier. Uh, he said, I still remember the incident, but I've forgiven myself for all the time I wasted. And he said, and all the sleepless nights, and he realized how his rage amplified the pain signals. There's a mind-body interaction, or I'd like to say mind-body and spirit interaction, and it drained him. He couldn't be the person he wished to be. And now I can tell you this. He is a loving soul to himself and others. So that forgiveness is one of, um, it's not an antidote. It's a very important process when horrific things occur. Fred? David, let me, let me, let me respond to one of the things you said, and, and thank you, Les, for the, the testimonial. <laughs> um, you know, back in the 80s, when they figured out what it was that makes people stressed and kind of anxious and have a tough time at work. The, the research was very clear. It was called high demand, low control. And, 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 and the, the state of California funded all this, you know, stress stuff. Um, and, and, and then they figured out why people who have, you know, middle management don't necessarily have less stress because they had they have you know, high demand, low control. And when you have high control over things, you know, your stress is less. Um, but part of the process of forgiveness and, and exactly what I know the two of you teach is, is that crucial reminder of like spheres of influence, you know, which started with Epictetus but then was, you know, covered by Stephen Covey, you know, in his book, which is, well, what can you actually control? And, 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 and if you're raging against something you can't control, that very action, of course, makes you more miserable. So you have to look for the things that you can control, which are to some degree your mind, your emotional state, some of your choices, um, the ways you treat people in yourself. But, but that spheres of influence thing is one of the transitions of forgiveness. You know, helpless at past events, helpless at external treatment to more efficacy for dealing internally with what I actually have power over, which is, there's nothing unusual about this. But the crucial thing about forgiveness 
which is why I think it's so valuable. And I don't take any credit for forgiveness. I just figured out a simple way of reminding people to do it. This stuff's been around forever. Is that what forgiveness allows us to do is clean up the mess that we made. Life didn't cause the problem. Other people didn't cause the problem. Mistakes caused the problem. It was our unresolved, unrequited, unskillful grief that we didn't know what to do with that caused the problem. Like so, so we're literally transforming our reactions to life from methods that are unskillful to methods that are more skillful. That, that's the process of forgiveness. And when you're then in a position of more skillful responses to your own life, you don't need to hold on to bitterness to the past because you, you've cultivated something more skillful. And it's always through the development of some kind of more inner control. So, so I'd, like to, I'd like to make a comment to that, which is, I think, excellent. So you might, there's a paper out of Austin, Texas, Fred, um, written by Robert Dancer, that reviewed the social factors that caused lower inflammation. And a sense of control was one of those. A sense of control actually lowers inflammatory markers. Hope also lowers inflammatory markers. It actually flat out lowers inflammatory markers, which of course decreases the pain. So as you, I like the word, because I've said this for a long time, <clears throat> Les's project and my project, they're not self-help books. It's, they're not a one, two, three in your fixed book, but you're learning skills to process adversity more skillfully. Exactly. So it's like, I, I use the metaphor of a major league baseball player who starts at high school, college, single A, double A, triple A, and gets to the majors and gets more skillful at swinging the bat but you're still going to miss the ball a lot of the time, but with practice, you become more and more skilled at hitting the ball. So I 100% agree that forgiveness is a more, more skillful way of living your life because anytime you're anxious or angry, you're actually in the past. You're not here anymore. Your yep. body reacted. You're actually there. You're not here. And as you know, we're programmed by our past. So the question I want to ask you, Fred, though, is there's one research paper that shows that 95% of people in chronic pain and on disability have not let go or forgiven the person or situation that hurt them in the first place. 95%. Right. Why do we hold, I mean, that's just one situation. I mean, all of us do this. I don't want to sound luxury here because I guilty as charged. I hold on to all sorts of stuff. And I now have a learned skill that's much better than it was 10 years ago and still working on it in a big way. Why do we hold, why? Okay, if somebody in my life that hurt me. I don't like this person. Don't have to like this person. Why do we hold on to anger? Why do we hold on to the situation that hurt us in the past when we have the opportunity to live a really nice life today? Why do we hold on to anger so much? I mean, like everything else, it's a, I think, a multi-dimensional response. I, I, I don't think there's one reason. I mean, I, I, we're wired to do that. Um, How's that? What do, you, what, do you mean, we're, what do you mean we're wired to hold on to that? That one of the basic responses to threat and, and danger is anger. You know, you, it's one of the most basic, simple responses to anything that threatens us, scares us, or may reduce what we perceive as our quality of life. So that's one. 
Two is um, it just becomes a habit. I mean, and, and if you were raised in a home where you didn't have good modeling of a wide range of emotional responses or that you didn't have, you know, parents who trained you to have a wide range of emotional responses, then you're going to focus on the primitive threat-based responses because those are inherent to the nervous system. I mean, that. but then there's the other one that is less talked about. It's um, most of us do not want responsibility for ourselves. But why is that? I mean, it's, it's easier in the end of the day. I mean, if you're the bursting of all your circumstances, it wouldn't be easier to take responsibility for ourselves. It's very hard. You know it. I mean, one of the reasons it's taking you 10 years to integrate a lot of these things, and it can take some people their whole life, you know. Is, <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> oh, that did it. Okay, now again, see, I told you I'm in the middle of, I'm in the middle of two psychologists here. I have no but we yeah. don't it's very hard to acknowledge yes. our complicity and our decision making in how we're in the condition we're in. It is it takes guts, it takes effort, it takes remembrance. And it takes a kind of sophisticated mental map to say, yeah, I have, I had a lot of bad starts. I had a lot of pain and suffering and every mm -hmm. inch along the way, I made choices. And right now I'm still making the choice. And that's hard to own that. I mean, it, 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 takes, it takes us out of dependency into independence. And, and I believe one that's difficult, but I also believe, as, as I read most forcefully in Stephen Covey's book, it's an evolutionary step. You know, the most primitive is dependent. And then you go to independent, and the highest level of functioning is mutuality or interdependence. But you start with this limited dependence, and then through effort, growth, suffering, and hope, you move to more independence, but that is no easy thing. Yeah, I, 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 that's beautifully said. And David um, and Fred, this past weekend, we had the Pain Summit, and this is no different. You said, uh, I'm going to kind of hone in on one word, you said habit. Um, and, and David, um, over, over the summit, I used something called trigger behavior reward. The way the, the, the brain system works, right, is when we get triggered, may that be a, a memory, a scent. Um, we see someone that looks like the physician or, or many of my patients when I walk into a hospital, the scent triggers them. So think of trigger behavior reward. When we get triggered, uh, what is the behavior? Are we, are we just getting drunk in that thought, that memory? And that, that seems to increase dopamine, as I mentioned. D dopamine is very important in reward-based learning. So there's an association. So whatever we practice, we become better at. So if we practice unforgiveness, we, begin, we get a PhD plus, right? And so when we practice um, you know, letting go, forgiving, and again, I'm going to go back to what you said, because it's, it's the simplicity and the complexity of the situation you explained, this, this forgiveness stuff. Make a decision. It's almost like this is where I am. I'm exhausted. I'm done. I, I am now going to start my life here. You make a decision, and then there is the emotional process of, 
of forgiving the steps. And it's like you said, and the word I use with my patients is, is it's okay to fear. It's okay to, to feel like this is going to be difficult. Absolutely. It's a human experience. And I, and I say, use a bar some of my committed courage. So to, to be able to walk through this with someone who's willing to help you forgive. So I think that's, that's fantastic. Forgiveness is really a habit and it can be practiced over and over again. And in your book, that's why I'm leaning on that, just kind of hanging on to a few things. You talk about your life experiences and how you help people shift. And so ultimately is we can practice this forgiveness and it goes back to 3000 plus years ago when some dude sat around in some tree and said, you know, we suffer because we don't have a disciplined mind and a mind that's disciplined with skill. Being skillful is key to forgiveness. So what I'd like to do to um, sort of summarize this podcast is to, um, Dr. Ari, I'm going to officially give you the last word today, since you always get it anyway. (laughs) I'm going to give Fred the first word, but um, I just want to set the stage here is that I just want to get different angles in the fact that you honestly, I'm watching hundreds and hundreds of patients go to pain-free. They just cannot get better. I mean, when I say get better, truly heal without forgiveness. They just can't do it. I mean, you can get a lot better, lots of progress, but truly there's a huge, huge point. And we talked about the body's physiology in the state of anger, being trapped, et cetera. And quality of life is not good when you're angry. My wife and I have a little joke, have a little joke, which is not a joke, is that anger isn't attractive. And so she's pretty attractive, but when she's angry, she's not attractive. Now, when I get angry, I still think I'm attractive. Because I'm not attractive in the first place. So that's a different discussion. <laughs> but anyway, in general, when people are angry, it's just not a very pleasant state to be in. And so um, I'm just going to say my um, first word here and give it over to Fred for the second word. It's just whatever way you look at it, whatever you heard from us today, is that this thing called anger is a big deal. Um, forgiveness is one of the words that we use. There's lots of ways of dealing with anger. And, you know, Fred, your insights today have been remarkably interesting. So anyway, I'm just curious, um, that's my point for the day is that whatever you do, somehow you've got to let go of anger. Whatever way you do it is really up to you. So Fred, what are your thoughts on the day? You've worked with me for a while in chronic pain, and I know we both evolved and are thinking a lot working with each other. So I'm just curious about your thoughts on the necessity of forgiveness as far as healing. You know, David, I, I, I was going to ask you, since you, you're so, your, your clinical experience is so clear about forgiveness and in your own personal experiences, like why you are allowing resistance to have you talk more about letting go. Like, so you're, it would strike me as you're afraid of the resistance of your patients, but you're limiting your impact because of it. Um, the word forgiveness implies ownership and control, and that's why people resist it. But if you don't push back on that, you're allowing them to dominate the conversation in a way that makes what you're doing have less impact. Because it's, it's, this, it's this word forgiveness that has nothing to do with me, but that we are owning the fact that we had unskillful, difficult responses to very hard life events, and now we are choosing to release them and change, that's much more than letting go. 
But since what we're resisting is the responsibility and the ownership, letting it go is kind of a passive thing. But this is not a passive act. And that's why you keep on coming up against why this is so powerful. Because when your patients stop being passive victims of pain and take responsibility and inside of themselves move, they forgive, it's that activity of mind inside that movement, that ownership, that's part of its impact, not just the letting go of anger. So that would be my final word as a kind of challenge to you. That is, um, that's beautiful, um, Fred, and thank you very much. Let me just summarize this is in simplicity here. Forgiveness is possible, and it's a choice. And we've been talking to Dr. Fred Luskin today, and and David, great questions and, and things. We all have room for forgiveness, and it comes down to a choice. I also want to emphasize something here is if you've not done this, pick up his book, Forgive for Good. And what I love about the book, because uh, I have a tension problem sometimes, and when you start the next chapter, he kind of summarizes it. And so I love the book. It helped me help myself. And um, my patients are often a very big blessing to me. They, they were my teachers. And so thank you for those who taught me. And so as we wrap up this podcast, forgiveness is possible. Make a decision and acquire some skills. Get with a therapist, a psychologist. And more importantly here is that give yourself the opportunity. Now, in the next upcoming podcast, we'll be talking about how to process anger, but we really want you to leave today with a sense of hope, a sense of dignity, and a sense of love that it is possible to forgive. Thank, Thank you, everybody. Les. Thank you, Fred. And uh, thanks, everybody. And thanks for joining us. David and Les would love to hear from you about today's podcast and any ideas for future topics. You can email them at David hyphen less at dynamic healing podcast.com. That's David hyphen less at dynamic healing podcast.com. Are you looking for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic Reiki master teacher and energy healer on my podcast, the miracle of healing. I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you right here on mindbodyspirit.fm.